0: Knowing God's will, what lies ahead? I, I wonder if some of you perhaps were thinking we're going to tell you what's coming <laughs> in your life or how to figure out what's coming. We're not, we're not uh, into prophecies here. We're not letting you know that kind of thing. But, but we are trying to look at some of the passages of Scripture where it's very plain. God says, this is God's will for you. And so we're going to talk about uh, another of those today. And this one is from First Thessalonians chapter 5 and i'm calling it good practices for a godly attitude there are some things in life that if we would just learn to discipline ourselves to practice those things it would make an immense difference and uh, it's this is not an attitude a, a sermon about the power of positive thinking this is a a sermon about some things that we ought to practice that we are told to practice but i want to start with this little story i found about about attitude Um, john because i picked the name out of the air received a parrot for christmas the parrot was fully grown with a bad attitude and a worse vocabulary every other word it seemed was an expletive those that weren't were rude to say the least John tried hard to change the bird's attitude and was constantly saying polite words, playing soft music, doing anything he could to get to try and set a good example. Nothing worked. He yelled at the bird, and the bird got worse. He shook the bird, and the bird got angry and more rude. Finally, in a moment of desperation, John put the parrot in the freezer. For a few minutes, he heard the bird squawking and kicking and screaming, and then suddenly it got quiet, and John was frightened that he might have actually hurt the bird, so he opened the freezer door. The parrot calmly stepped out onto John's extended arm and said, I'm sorry that I have offended you with my language and actions, and I ask your forgiveness. I will endeavor to correct my behavior. John was astounded at the bird's change in attitude and was about to ask what had made such a drastic change when the parrot continued, May I ask what the chicken did? <laughs> <laughs> my wife is shaking her head, so I know I scored on that one. So that's- <laughs> Attitude is really important, right? I mean, you've been around people that are kind of like that. They just seem to have a foul, rotten attitude all the time. It's interesting to me how much stock we place in our circumstances as the things that drive our attitude. I think the scripture makes us more responsible for our attitude than we want to admit. Now, this section of scripture here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's it's interesting to me as I have read through it and kind of reread it even in preparation for today. This is in the context of a bunch of things written to a church family. So this is really corporate there's a, there's a real sense of community in these words. So I know I only put verses 16, but just as I was looking over this, uh, leave that up there, but I'm gonna read a little earlier and then we'll pick up and join in at verse 16 because I want you to get the sense of how corporate this is. Finally, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we urge you brothers admonish the idle encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with them all see that no one repays evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you so I want you to get the sense because I'm, I'm going to approach this from a fairly personal standpoint that this is what I'm responsible to do, but it's always, or very often in the New Testament, even these individual kind of uh, challenges to us are in the context of community. This is what we are to do, and it's what we are to help and encourage each other uh, to do, all right? So let's jump in and look at verse 16 where it says literally at all times rejoice two things about this right off the bat that i think are really important first of all the frequency comes first now sorry for a little quick greek thing but many times in the language of the new testament the first thing that is in a sentence is the most important thing in the sentence when you have Two words together like this and we end up translating it so it makes sense in english rejoice always it's literally at all times so the frequency is first and is really important because of its priority in the sentence secondly it's a command it's an imperative this is what we are told to do so that kind of quickly removes uh the, the reactionary element of rejoicing right I rejoice if I win Publisher's Clearinghouse, or I rejoice if whatever good thing happens that I particularly like. We rejoice. We have joy. We have all this. But let's back up a minute before we get talking about the rejoice. And remember, it's at all times, throughout life, on a regular basis, there is not a season of life when I should not practice this habit of rejoicing. I'm interested when I look at the New Testament of how many times Paul, for example, talked about having joy when he was in prison. How many times we were challenged to have joy even in the midst of persecution. Those things don't make sense unless we recognize that this is First of all, a command, not a reaction. Secondly, it is to be done at all times, in all seasons of our life. Not, not, it's not speaking about every instance, but at all seasons. We go through good seasons, we go through hard seasons. We go through up seasons and down seasons, right? We have periods of time when we're just feeling a little off, and we have seasons of time when, man, we're feeling really good. In the midst of all of those times, at all times, we are to rejoice. What in the world does that mean? So for those of you who are familiar with this distinction, let's just remember it. But you may be interested to know that there is a distinction between being happy and having joy. Between being happy and rejoicing. Rejoicing is always a verb. Happiness is just, it's, it's something that happens to you. In fact, happiness, it has been said, is based on happenings. I'm happy if I win Publisher's Clearing House or whatever it is. I'm happy when I get the new car. I'm happy when this happens. And I'm unhappy when I get the first car payment. <laughs> and I'm happy when, you know, the, the negative things happen. If it's positive happening then I'm happy. If it's a negative happening, then I'm unhappy. So happiness waxes and wanes. It's a reaction and a response to things. Rejoicing is somehow different. Here's what I understand joy to be in the New Testament. It's, first of all, rooted in faith. And it is a settled confidence that God is gaining glory in my circumstances. I'll read it again. It's a settled confidence that God is gaining glory in my circumstances. Now, I've been in a lot of settings recently where I've been reminded of this. God is, of course, awesome. But his main goal, his primary goal in history is for the expansion of his glory and his greatness. Included in that is the salvation of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But that brings glory to God. His ultimate goal is his own glory. So how do I rejoice? I rejoice when I have the confidence that God is doing just that. He's getting glory in my circumstances. It's a chosen attitude. It's almost an action. It's a challenge to say, when you look at life, I want you to recognize God is being glorified in your circumstances. That's why Paul could say, like he did in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. How in the world do you rejoice in sufferings unless you recognize god is being glorified in those sufferings and therefore you can have confidence that the best thing is happening so god is being glorified so we we have a a decision to make will i rejoice 2nd corinthians 6 10 is another really weird statement or it seems like it on the surface We live, Paul said, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So I can be unhappy and rejoice when I understand what rejoicing is. It is a a full-on confidence, a settled peace that I know God's being glorified in my circumstances. And at all times, I'm to do that. Secondly, verse 17. And just while I'm still there, before I read 17, let's remember that this is corporate. So that means we rejoice when God is being glorified through us. When, when God is using the ministry of this church, we rejoice at all times. When it feels a little down, when it feels really exciting, in all things, we rejoice. Okay, secondly, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Again, the frequency comes first, and it's really one word, and it says, incessantly pray. Without stopping, pray. We have dogs at our house. Our oldest daughter uh, rents from us and has two of them. We have one Had it already when she came with hers. Which, of course, means we have three. See, I'm good at math. Dogs bark. I get it. That's kind of what they do, how they are. Two of them bark when somebody's outside and they see a stranger. They're in warning mode. Two of them bark when they're happy to see us. One of them, my dog, barks... I don't even know why half the time. The other two are kind of siblings, not from the same litter, but they've been together since they were pups. And, and uh, so they go outside and they play and chew on each other's collars and ears. And, you know, they have a grand old time. My dog goes outside and watches them play and barks at them. Incessantly drives me Crazy. I am to incessantly pray. It doesn't drive God crazy for you to incessantly come to him and pray. Oops. (laughs) It doesn't drive God batty when you are incessant in your prayer. In fact, he intends for that to be true. A constant attitude, and posture. We all, I suspect, have relationships with people from our past that we don't commonly see them anymore. We're kind of Facebook friends for the most part or whatever it is. And, and every once in a while, we get a chance to talk to them or see them. And we, we sit down and we pick up right where we left off, it seems, right? It's, it's that kind of feeling, not that we should have periods of time when we don't talk to God, but it, shouldn't, it should be an ongoing conversation. Incessant prayer simply refers to the spirit, the conversation of being readily available to converse with God. It's a very, uh, the word pray is a very general word for prayer. It includes pretty much everything that we do when we pray. It includes petition, asking God for things in particular. It includes intercession when we pray for someone else. It includes adoration when I, when I am just talking to God and declaring his greatness and reminding myself and praying back to him, thanking him for who he is. It includes thanksgiving and gratitude for, for his provision or for his work in another person's life. It includes all of those things. It's conversation. I don't think we often enough look at prayer as a, an ongoing conversation with God. I think we look at prayer as the thing we do before we eat so we can take time to thank God for his blessings to us. That's a good practice. I think it's great. I think we ought to take time to be thankful. I think that it, we look at prayer as the thing that we do when we end the set of worship music or when we begin or end the sermon. There are there are times when we stop and let's pray. Those are great. Those are really good. Those are really important. But if prayer is a conversation, that makes this idea of incessant a little more realistic, right? I'm, I'm just in an ongoing conversation with God. I mean, some of you have... Pretty long. Most everybody has a long commute. When you live in Gloucester, I've learned, you know, lots of people travel half hour, 45 minutes, and you know that's just what it is. So there's a lot of time that could be spent praying without having to, you know, fold your hands and hopefully not close your eyes. But uh, there is this ongoing sense of conversing with God, and we are to do it incessantly. So here's my question: Why doesn't it work? Now, I know that's not, it's not what the preacher is supposed to ask. But sometimes, and I've had many people over the years say, but it just doesn't seem to be doing anything. I think that we perceive it to be not doing anything because we misunderstand the purpose of prayer, fundamentally the purpose of prayer. God has told us in James chapter 5 that the... the prayer of a righteous man is effective, has great power as it's working. So we know that it, it is a powerful thing. In fact, that verse is in the context in James where he's been giving us some instruction from the life of Elijah and reminding us about this great man of God from the Old Testament who prayed and for three years it didn't rain and then he prayed again and the rain came. And it says in that passage, Elijah was a man of passions like ours. So he's using Elijah as our example to say the prayer of a righteous person has great power. So does God answer prayer? Yes. Does God want us to pray expecting great things? Yes. I am praying for a specific dollar amount for that specific property. And I have been praying it for a year What if God doesn't say yes to that prayer? Then what? Here are a couple of thoughts to think about. C.S. Lewis once said, God is not a tame lion, nor does he answer prayers like a full-service agency. And Harold Myra, less people would have heard of him, says prayer is not even remotely like phoning in an order to an eternal bellhop. Prayer is not like getting on Amazon.com, right? And like the next day you have what you're asking for. God's intention is not for you to treat prayer as though you're going to him to get the stuff that you want or to get the, the things that you think you need. God intends for us to pray for the purpose of conversation. So is it possible then that the main purpose of prayer is getting ourselves into the flow of God's purposes? Is it possible that the main reason God wants us to have this ongoing conversation is so that we will be able to get into the flow of what he's doing? I think sometimes we get so hung up on the But if I pray for this and God says no, then my prayer wasn't effective. But what if in the praying and in the no and in the experience of that, God enabled me to have a little better understanding of who he was and what his character was like? Was not that prayer effective? I think it is. So There is a lot involved, and I'll I'll reiterate this at the end here in just a few minutes, but prayer requires a great confidence in the sovereignty of God and a great willingness to say, God, this is what I want. And I am trusting you to do what is best, but here's what I want. It's a conversation between a child and a parent. So incessantly pray. Pray. Then thirdly, the first part of verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. As you can imagine, the frequency again is first. In all. And really the word circumstances is inserted because we want to put something in there. uh, In all things. But in all, give thanks. Everything put together. It's a singular word, not specifically for each individual thing. This gets you off the hook from having to say, oh, God, thank you so much for that flat tire. I mean, nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to thank God for the broken arm or, you know, whatever, a sprained ankle. We don't stop for each individual thing and give thanks for that really bad thing that just happened. But in all, in the context, in the overall picture everything put together we have an attitude of thankfulness a spirit of gratitude it is the picture of our response in life and we are to give thanks take time to thank the lord actively bless god for his favor i loved our music this morning i loved that it addressed each of these three things and that last song we sang is just it's still one of my favorite songs it's been around a few years now but we, we are thankful to God for who he is. And we do take time to thank him for what he's done. There are plenty of stories in the New Testament the, the one of the 10 lepers comes to mind. And uh, they came and Jesus healed them and nine of them ran off to confirm with the priest that they were in fact healed. And one of them went part way and turned around and came back and thanked the Lord. And Jesus said, interesting, only one came back to say thank you. In all, give thanks. Have a thankful spirit. For, second part of verse 18, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you. Now, I think all three of these things are the will of God. I think rejoicing and praying and giving thanks are all part of the will of God. But grammatically, this word is tied, this, this, the, the word this is tied to the word all. In all, give thanks. Because this, this all, whatever this all is, this is the will of God for you. What's going on is part of God's will for you. Now, that's true in Christ. Man, I I love that as you go through the New Testament, if you pay attention, Christ is everywhere here, right? And our position in Christ informs everything. I I am thankful, first of all, to be in Christ. And when I am in Christ, I have confidence of... Verses like Philippians 1, 6 that talk about how he who began a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I have confidence that this all of my life is what God is doing to conform me to the image of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I am thankful as I grow in my walk with Christ. In Christ, it is the will of God for this all to be taking place. He is using all of this for a specific purpose. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You could read that concerning you or with respect to you. There's something personal about this in relationship to you. God's plan is not random, ever. We dislike some of the pieces, right? We dislike some of the things that God includes in his plan for our life. Let's be honest. There there are some of them we really, really don't like. In relationship to you, this is God's will. Each piece fits. I have friends, Chris and Richard, with whom are some of those former friends that we don't really stay in touch with, but I watch on Facebook, or we occasionally interact on Facebook. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a stalker, but uh, um, they, over the Christmas holidays, got a puzzle that they were putting together, and they took pictures of it in progress a thousand-piece puzzle of pencils just laying stacked one on top of the other. So my first thought was, have they gone mad since I knew them? But after that, I realized, well, some people really love the challenge, and I thought that had to just be incredibly frustrating at times to understand where in the world... There's an eraser on every one of these, and I have a piece with an eraser on it. Where does that go? Every piece fits. John Piper is known for this statement. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. There is always this sense of working that God has in my life where he is accomplishing things that I have no clue what he's doing, what he's preparing, what he is doing in my life that he may use in somebody else's life down the road at some point in time. I have no idea of most of those things. We we watch TV shows of uh, people that, you know, this experience happened, and oh, they missed an accident by just this few seconds, and if they had this, and if that, and if, if, if. We have no idea what all God is doing. We have occasional glimpses, right, of God doing something and we're like, oh, oh, now I get that. We need to learn to be thankful at all times, in all circumstances. We need to rejoice with the confidence that God's being glorified in our life. We need to have an incessant attitude of prayer. All of these things, and a couple of thoughts for you to take home, all of these things, the central key to each of them is confidence in God's sovereignty. If I don't believe God's in charge, I'm going to have a hard time rejoicing. If I don't believe God's in charge, I'm going to have a hard time praying because I, I think part of prayer is learning to pray in a godly fashion, to pray for the things that are close to God's heart. And if I'm not leaning in and growing in my walk with christ and learning what pleases god that it's going to be hard for me to know how to pray in a godly fashion i'm not going to be thankful if i think life is just random it just happens and i learn to live with it but if i believe in the sovereignty of god these things become easier secondly rejoicing thankfulness and prayer all three of these are important disciplines to cultivate they are none of them should be treated primarily as responses to things, but rather disciplines that we cultivate. We probably, none of us would disagree with that as it relates to the concept of prayer. We all uh, recognize that we, we need to pray, and so we need to work at the discipline of prayer. But I'm thinking of the discipline of incessant prayer. So that when I am in a commute and I've got 20 minutes to my destination yet, perhaps my discipline ought to be to learn to just have a conversation with God. Didn't you ever get into a circumstance where kind of life was just going on and you, things just didn't feel right and you called somebody because you just wanted to talk? Isn't, wouldn't that be okay with God? I mean, I realize he doesn't audibly answer back, but wouldn't it be okay to just talk? God, I'm frustrated and express to him openly that you're frustrated. I know, I get that God knows what's on your mind, so you don't have to say it out loud. Say it out loud anyway. We need to learn the discipline of incessant prayer. We need to learn the discipline of viewing life with the lens that says God is being glorified in my circumstances. So I in that I will have a settled confidence which is what rejoicing is. I will learn to be thankful even in the midst of circumstances that are adverse because I know that even that is being used by God in my life. It is part of God's will. And he is working something that I don't understand right now. I'm thankful that he's sovereign and I can trust him to work it. They don't happen in the heat of the moment. In fact... They rarely happen in the heat of the moment. Occasionally, you get like a Peter situation where Jesus has said, hey, go ahead, step out of the boat and walk to me. And then you realize, oh boy, and you start to sink. And you don't have time to say, dear heavenly father, I thank you for this day. You, know, you don't have time to, to pray. You just say, Lord, save me. Sometimes it's instinctive. But for the most part, these things are disciplines that we learn, that we practice, that we begin to develop in our lives, and they will, I guarantee, they will change your attitude and your perspective. They change how things are at work. They change how things are in my marriage relationship or in my relationship with my kids or my neighbors or whatever it is. They they change a lot of things. When I begin to rejoice all the time, when I begin to pray incessantly when I begin to give thanks in the big picture of life, it changes. It changes me. It changes how I view things. I recognize that it's God's will for me. All right, we're going to sing here in just a minute. The team's going to come back. I'm going to pray uh, before we close, and then uh, they're going to come and lead us in another song, and we're going to go out rejoicing together, all right? Father, thank you for... What is a really familiar passage of scripture always makes me just a little wee bit nervous to preach something that people have heard many times. And I know lots of folks here have. But uh, Lord, please remind us of the importance of these things. They are disciplines that we need to develop. I need to develop. They make such a difference in my daily experience because it puts me in a posture that recognizes your sovereignty in my life. And I am grateful for that. Thank you for the joy that we have in Christ. And so as we uh, lift our voices and and rejoicing as we leave, I pray that you would be pleased with us as we go. For I ask in Christ.